Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name is Tim, and it's good to have you with us this morning. It's September, still September, beautiful, and I understand we're going to have some pretty fall weather uh, coming up this week. So we're uh, starting a new series today. We're starting it and calling it uh, He is the Mission, or The Mission. And you'll notice your bulletin cover, it, it says He is the Mission. You know, all this year we've been looking at our mission on this earth. And... Um, we tried to be real creative. Remember that uh, sermon series, Get Out? And we looked at getting out of the building and getting into our community and getting into different things that are happening. Uh, we've, we looked at, if you remember, uh, Unfinished was early this year where we talked about co- continuing the unfinished work of Jesus Christ. We, we've been looking at this through different ways at this last sermon series on Monday Morning Faith, looking at our ministry at work. Uh, today, what I want to do is I, I want to uh, take some time here. I wanted to say briefly, but I had to take that word out. Um, I want us to look in the next five weeks at what are we really here for? Because that's what we've been asking, uh, that, or trying to answer that question, is questions like, why are we here as a church? Why are we here? What what are we to do? And I want to emphasize the word we. So often this year we've been looking at what you should do, what I should do individually. But to, but this sermon series, I want us to look at our mission as a church, what we are about. Because I was never I was not reached uh, by one person. I was reached by a lot of different people. A lot of pe- a lot of different people were involved in helping me find Jesus Christ. In fact, next week, I would like for you, if you would, to give you a little assignment here. If you'd read Acts chapter 9, look at the conversion of, of Saul or Paul, and just look and see how many different people were involved in his conversion. Because it takes all of us working together as a church to bring people to Christ. And today, what I want to do is start this five-week series looking at our mission by looking at what we call uh, the Great Commission. You know, someone asked me one time, so what, why are we still here, Tim? And if I could put it in a sentence, it would be this sentence. We are here to continue what Jesus did while He was here or when He was here. You ever thought about that? What did Jesus do while He was here? What did He, what did he do? What would Jesus be doing if He were here right now? And as I think about that, I think about He'd be with people. He'd be meeting people, talking to people, listening to people, feeding people, serving people, teaching people, healing people, touching people. Most of His activity would not be here, but would be out there. Now, I'm not saying that, make it clear here, Jesus is not saying don't come to church. It's a waste of time. I just can't find very many examples of him in a worship service. That most of his work was out there. And I, uh, there's another statement. I just, okay, God, I'll say it. What we do here on Sundays is probably what we're doing out there in a lot of ways. I know some of you may, you may be a guest this morning, and we are so glad that you would come and be with us. We're not a perfect church. Oh my, we're messed up. We make lots of mistakes all week. The reason we get together is so we can learn how to be better out there. And, and uh, we need it every week. We need something every week to keep us going. And... Uh, and uh, we're glad that you're here, and um, we hope you'll come back. We hope you will come back and be with us. Uh, but if you're a guest here, I want you to relax, because I'm not talking to you this morning. I'm talking to the members here at Greater Alton Church. Um, you see, whatever, whatever, we, whatever Jesus, listen to this, whatever Jesus did in His physical body while He was here, he wants to do in his spiritual body while it's here. You agree with that? That makes sense? Whatever he did in that physical body, he wants to do 
in His spiritual body. And His spiritual body is the church. So in a way, you could say, Jesus defines our mission. He describes our mission. He determines our mission. Because He is the mission. So what I want to do is I want to take the next five weeks and just look at this look at this idea of what are we here collectively together. I want you to know that this morning, when we talk about the Great Commission, I know some of us here, if you're like me, you go, oh no, not the Great Commission. Kind of like the, remember the gumdrop button? Not the gumdrop buttons, you know, not the Great Commission. You're not going to talk about the Great Commission again, are you? And we, why? Because we get all tense, we get all terrified, we, we sweat, I'm not going to do it, or I, I, I don't know where to start, and it's just, they call it the Great Commission, that's because it's great, and it's a big job, and it's intimidating. Yeah, I agree with you. It's big, it's intimidating, it's a big, hairy, scary, intimidating thing. But did you know that the term Great Commission was never used to describe these words until the 1600s? It would be 1600 years later that someone would say, would call the words of Jesus that we refer to as the Great Commission, the Great Commission. I was looking at a website, 10 things you should know about the Great Commission. Well, that got my attention. The first one was, it was not called the, tink, the, the Great Commission until 1,600 years later. I went, what? And I have a cartoon of a stick man standing with a bubble, uh, with an inscription on a bubble thing saying, you know it's called the Great Commission. And the other guy goes, never heard of it. There was a time, if you went into the book of Acts and said, you know, we need to be doing this because it's a Great Commission. What's that? They never heard of it. We've called it the Great Commission. And with it, we've gotten this, this scary, hairy monster of intimidation with it. And I am just as terrified. If you're one of those people that are scared doing sharing your faith or share, uh, talking about Jesus in public, I want to tell you, I'm with you. Well, you do it every week here in front of us. Yeah, that's this is different. In here, it's different. Out there, it's hairy and scary. And yet, it's what Jesus... It is great. It is a big job. It is a commission. It is a work, a task, an assignment He wants us to do. And what Jesus was saying to His disciples, He was doing all along with them. See, they didn't misunderstand. When He said, go make disciples, He understood what they meant because they had been experiencing it for about three years. So they didn't have to be told it's a great commission. It was just part of their lifestyle, naturally part of what of who they are. Let's read. Every gospel has has the Great Commission. The Book of Mark, by the way, the original manuscripts do not have the Great Commission. The last twelve verses of the Book of Mark have been added by a scribe later on because he thought it needed a better ending than just abruptly ending with some women looking around for Christ. Okay, now you say, really, Tim, is that true? Google it, look it up, read all that stuff and be as confused as I am about it. But it's interesting, okay? It's a very interesting read. I've got a whole book, the last 12 verses of Mark. Mark has four different endings. Did you know that? It has four different endings. One of them is just one verse. And the disciples went out and spoke about Jesus everywhere they went. That's a short version. Then you got the one that's in your NIV Bible. But I want to look at the, let's look at the ones that aren't under that, they're in all the manuscripts which were copies of copies of copies of copies of the original, and they have them hundreds of years apart, and they're all in there. Let's read them together. Here's John 19 up here on the screen. That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Isn't that interesting, first of all? On the heels of, as this great commission is about to be given, the disciples are in a room and nobody can get in. Because they're afraid. You know, fear is still keeping people out of the kingdom. The fear of disciples is still keeping people out of the Lord's church. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. 
praise God, when Jesus knows you're afraid, He rushes to your side. If you're a scaredy cat, like I'm a scaredy cat, Jesus spends a lot of time with us, doesn't He? He has to. Because we couldn't do it without Him being on our side. And so he's, so He shows up, and what happens in that room? Everybody freaks out. And He says, everybody needs to take calm. Peace be with you. They're all freaking out. Here's a guy who they thought was dead, is now alive. He looks like he's been through the ringer. He has holes in his, in his hands and his side. And he, he doesn't look... He's alive. And they're going, what? And he's going, everybody needs to calm down. Calm down. Don't be afraid. As he spoke, he showed them his wounds in his hands and his side. I want you to know something, church. The bedrock for the Great Commission is the resurrection. He shows himself. Luke 24 says, You don't believe who I am? Give me something to eat. I didn't know it was that simple to prove you were alive. Give me something to eat. Oh, no, no, no. There, see? I'm alive. He must be alive. He ate some fish. I don't know what was that all about, but everybody's scared. Stick your hand here. Put your finger in there. Thomas, oh my God. That's what he's, that's the first time you ever see that. Oh my OMG in Scripture. And he tells them, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to talk about, you've got to remember, this, you're going to talk about me. See, this was written about me. I'm supposed to suffer and die and then resurrect and, and then forgiveness of sins will be preached. You'll be sent out to tell everybody about Jesus. So they, so they, he speaks to them. He tells them who he is. He shows them who he is. They are filled with joy when they saw the Lord again. He says, "Would you please calm down?" Why? Because you cannot build a church and you cannot fulfill what God wants just on emotion, fear, euphoria. They're real popular in churches today. You see a lot of churches really getting all hyped up and worked up. But if you're going to fulfill what Jesus wants done, if we're going to fulfill what Jesus wants done, it can't be just emotional because emotions come and go. I'm telling you, I'm one of the most emotional people in this room and I know this is true. Okay, I'm okay. They come and go so quick. You can be sad one minute, glad one minute, up, down, sideways, whatever. So it takes people that are more than emotional but people that can have this controlled emotion of peace in the center of them so they can think clearly and accomplish the mission. As the Father, he says, has sent... He says, calm down. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And that word you... It's not individual. If you notice it said that evening, the disciples, a group of people, and he says you. That's a plural, by the way, word. That's why I'm calling today's lesson, why are we still here? You do not have to fulfill the Great Commission alone. You've got help all around you. The rest of the body of Christ can help you. And I, I say to you this morning, I need help reaching my friends. I need help reaching my family. Will you help me? I know you're, some of you are going to embarrass me in front of my friends. How do I know that? Because sometimes I embarrass you in front of yours. But we need each other. We have got to see this. We do something together. Jesus gave the Great Commission to a group, not just an individual. And so when we talk, by the way, that kind of helps me. Because when I know there's somebody else around to help me, I'm not so scared of these words, go make disciples. They're not as intimidating because I've got some backup. I've got some people. Praise God. I am glad. You know, I may not understand some of you here. There's some of you I work closely with. I don't understand completely. You freak me out sometimes and I go off. Yeah, I'm sorry, Alan. Yeah, it's the truth. But I'll tell you what, I'm glad I've got him. Beside me. Because when I'm not having a good day, they're having theirs. 
they're having their day and they rise to the occasion. We need each other. We need each other to fulfill these words. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He said, just like God sent me from heaven to earth, I'm sending you from, he- from there to here. I'm sending you from here to there. Out there. And just like the Father sent me and gave me the help I needed and the power I needed, he- I'm sending you and going to give you the help you need and the power you need to do the same thing. To make a difference. I think in Luke 24, he says you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to give you that power. Here's another, here's the, here's the tried and true passage, Matthew 28. I've heard this, I've heard this passage preached hundreds, maybe thousands of times. It says here, then Jesus came to them. I never noticed it said them. Group. We. Group came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I would think so. You just lick death. You just whoop death. And you go, oh, I have all authority. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> You're standing there. You, you, not, you gave death a bloody nose. Not only a bloody nose, you crunched it. You scorched death. Therefore, he says, go. And that word go means more than just get out. It means as you go. He says go into all the world. So we need to be doing this real far away over here, real far away over there. It's saying as you go. He's telling these guys, now look, as you leave, as you leave and go into Jerusalem, maybe further out to Judea, even to the end of the world, make disciples. Make disciples. And then he says, here's how you do it. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, this is a great big work and it is intimidating to you and me individually. But So Jesus wants us to know as a group and I'll be with you every day. I won't let you do this by yourself. I'll help you with this. I'm so glad, you know, a church of our size, we have so many different talents and abilities. Some of you here are good talkers. Man, you ask the time, ask you the time, you describe the watch. I understand that. I do the same thing. I could talk to a fence post for hours. I used to talk to myself up and down the field, plowing and dis. There's nobody else on the tractor, folks. So who do I talk to? I prayed a lot and talked to myself a lot. Who do you think you are? I'll tell you who I think I am. You're insane. Farmers tend to go that way. But to some of us here, you know, but, but as a talker, I'm not a very good listener sometimes. And some of us here are so good at listening. You just listen with your eyes, and with your body, and people know it, and they gravitate to you. So when the talkers are not doing their job properly, the listeners come right in. Some of you here just know how to love people when the rest of us just aren't very loving and kind. And we're learning. We learn from you, watching you. It's just good to have everybody involved in this. Again, I was not reached by one person. Denise was not the only person that reached me. It was a group. It was a church. When I'd come to church, I felt welcomed and loved and accepted. I, I I didn't feel threatened. And when I'd be with them, we would go to places and we'd do things together. I had what some people don't like to say, fun. Oh, don't say that word. Church is not supposed to be fun. Who said that? Who said that? Okay, I'll meet you halfway. Fulfilling. I enjoy. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being with Christians. Enjoyed being with these new friends that I made. So what I want to do is spend some time talking about three simple reasons why we are still here. Why we as a church, because Greater Alton, who are we going to be? What are we going to do? Why are we going to why are we here as a group? 
What does God want us to do? And that's what I want to look at in this series, The Mission. And I want to start by looking at this great commission. Let me give you three simple reasons why we, why you and the person sitting next to you, have been, you guys have been here together, some of you for years and some just for months. Why we're all still here? We're still here, first of all. We are here to help people find Christ. I want you to know this. I'm talking about the Great Commission this morning. I'm not talking about everything, just the Great Commission. I know this when I study my Bible, that we are here, not just me, we are here to help people find Christ. Look at the Bible says in Acts 1, verse 8. It says here, this is the Great Commission in the book of Acts. You find the Great Commission five times if you count Mark's addition by scribes in the second century. It says here, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to talk about me. You're going to tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He says, this is just going to go. And it's going to spread. And it's going to come from you talking about me, telling other people about me. We are here, listen, we are here together to help people know who Jesus is. Now I want to ask you, let's ask a question here. Does Greater Rock want people to know Jesus? And you say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay. Do you want people to know Jesus? Well, yeah, I just don't want somebody else to talk about to them. And I don't know if that's really that bad. Because as I learn to talk about Christ, I may have to have someone that already knows how to help me. I'm just talking, just saying, okay? Do I want my friends? Do I want my family? Do I want the people I've bumped into to experience Jesus Christ? And I know we'd say, well, sure, sure. See, I believe finding Jesus is the greatest experience, the greatest thing that can ever happen to anybody. I listen to husbands and wives and talk about, you know, the greatest thing ever happened was I met my husband or I met my wife, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, 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 me too. Great, great moment. Or when I finally had children, my children, I do the greatest thing in the world. But, the, but by far, i got to tell you, the greatest thing that had ever happened to me is finding Jesus Christ. Because I don't know if, about you guys, it's confusing out there. And I'm easily confused. I'm still easily confused about things. I have to go to the Scriptures to get it right. I have to listen to other guys in my, in my life to go, Tim, wait a minute, think about this. And I had a hard time finding Jesus until I met some people that knew Him, that really had found Him. You see, we help people find Jesus. And it's, and it's not something we just do. It's our lifestyle. Just, it's naturally something that naturally happens because we have found Christ. Let me read, let me read 1 John. Look at this. Or, I mean, John chapter 1. I'm excited about this. Look at this. I stumbled across this. Here's what happens when you really follow or you find Jesus Christ, when you find Him. There's an example of it. One of the two men who followed Jesus after they heard John speak about him was Andrew. So Andrew had heard John the Baptist. He used to follow John the Baptist. John the Baptist, remember, he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew just starts gravitating toward Jesus. So John helps Andrew meet Jesus. And it's Simon Peter's brother. Look what it says. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and say to him, We... We. Wait a minute. You mean you? No, I mean we. We have found the Messiah. Does he mean you and me have found him? He hasn't even, Peter hasn't even met Jesus yet. He's saying there's a group of us. We have found him. We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. That's the first thing he does. When he found Christ, he helps somebody find Christ. Look what it says. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. There's no studies in that. There's no Scriptures in that. Well, wait a minute, Tim, it's John 1. Yeah, but they weren't thinking it's Scriptures when they did it. 
It's not Scripture. i got to know the Bible to do this. You don't have to know a thing. All you got to do is know Jesus. What do I know about Jesus? That's all you, that qualifies you. Have you met Jesus? That's all you need. And He brings Simon to meet Jesus. Let's read on. The next day, next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we, we, again, have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. I didn't realize we was in here so much, folks. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Nazareth? exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And look what he says. Come and see for yourself. It's an invitation. I was listening to um, in our discipleship group. We're sitting in our discipleship group. One of the guys spoke up in my discipleship group and says, I bet you're not very happy with me, Tim. I bet you're ashamed of me. And I go, why would I be ashamed of you? And he goes, I don't know. I don't talk that much about Jesus. I need to talk about Him more. I go, well, I do too. Are you ashamed of me? Well, no. I said, okay, well, he goes, you know, I just tell, I, I tell people, you ought to come and see what our church is about. I got this one guy I'm working on. I wish I could just come and see what we're about. I go, that's great. That's Bible. That's a, you're, that's a verse. By the way, you just, just quoted somebody in the Bible, a disciple in the Bible. It's good that we're repeating disciples. We need to be repeating what the other disciples were saying and doing what they did, huh? And I was, I was excited for him. And here's what I learned from reading these passages. And you say, this is too simple. I don't mean to insult any of you this morning, but we've got to get back to this, maybe some simple stuff here. People who have found Jesus are helping people find Jesus. That's what I noticed in this passage. People who have found Jesus are helping people find Jesus. Now here's the question I want you to think about. If I'm not talking about Jesus, it's not a question, it's a statement. If I'm not talking about Jesus... There's something wrong. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to get you to talk about Jesus this morning. That's not my. I've got some hidden motive here to get everybody busy and working crazy. I'm just putting this out there. This statement's for me as well. If I'm not talking about Jesus, there's something wrong. If I claim to have found Him and I'm not talking to others to help them find Him, There's something wrong. I've heard preachers say this. They've used this for years. If you have the cure for cancer, that's what gives us the heebie-jeebies sometimes when we hear great commission lessons. They do things like this to us. If you do the cure for cancer, would you share it with people? And I've always wanted to say, I don't know the cure for cancer. That's why I don't talk about it. That's why you aren't sharing it with anybody. Do you know the cure for cancer? And if you, but if, if you did, who would be the first person? I'll tell you where I'd be. I'd be on metal art talking to my sister-in-law. I know that. But I don't know the cure for cancer. That explains why. So if I am not talking about Jesus, what's the explanation? What's the explanation if I'm not talking about who I have found? Because finding Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that could ever happen to somebody. Maybe this, you know, maybe the reason I don't talk to people about Jesus is because I either don't know Him, I know church, I know church. I know Greater Alton church stuff. I know songs. I know some key leaders. But I don't know Jesus. It's either I don't really know Him and I haven't found Him, or I'm rebelling against something that He wants. 
Maybe it's fear. Maybe that's what's keeping me from doing it. Whatever it be. And again, this is... Please, 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 please understand I'm not here to put anybody on a guilt trip, put anybody, shame you into this. I'm, that's not the, the... I'm trying to get us to understand why. I'm trying to understand why I don't talk about Jesus like I should. Like I could. It has something to do with me knowing Him. And it's okay if it's quiet right now. Because see, if I know Christ, I'm naturally going to talk about Him. I don't have to have somebody 1,600 years later to say, hey, that's a great commission. You better do that. It's already a great commission. It's already a great task. Look at this. It's just natural. It should be just natural for us. Look at this. In Acts 4, you know, Peter and John are speaking about Jesus and they're beating them and they're telling them, stop talking. And it says, so they called Peter and John in again. They had meetings over these two guys. What are we going to do to get these guys to quit talking? Is they told them again not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, you decide what God would want. Should we obey you or God? We cannot keep quiet. We've got to talk about it. We must speak about what we've seen and heard. You see, they experienced Jesus. And if you've experienced Jesus, you can't help but talk about it. So what's that say to me, Tim? It tells me I need to get to where I, I need to look for ways and I need to have a goal in my life that I'm going to experience Jesus Christ. And if I start speaking about Him, that'll confirm that I am experiencing Jesus Christ. Guys, we have a cure that, that addresses man's greatest dis-ease. It's the remedy for the sin that Seth was talking about during the Lord's Supper there. And see, God's, God wants... I, I'm saying, I know I'm talking to most of us here. Some of us here are the choir. But just for review's sake, God wants people saved. How do I know that? Well, He says it in the Word of God. The Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. That's why He was sent, sent out to do. But he also, I also know this because He wanted me saved. And He sent someone in my life to talk. Just to talk to me. And by the way, the first time I was met, I did not hear, you know, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And look here, it says here in 2 Timothy about the Word of God. It's living and active. And, and let's go through this next study. That's not what the first conversation was. It was, hi, I'm Denise. That was it. Hi, I'm Tim. Here was, here was the way it went. Hey, Bamamba, what you badoobin? Bill Cosby's cartoon was big back then. And that's what I said to her. And she laughed. And I thought, I got her. <laughs> hey, Bamamba. What be, remember Mushmouth? Hey, Bamamba. What be you bedoobin? My name's Timba. What's your yerba name? My name's Denise. That's the first things I hear from her lips. Not, you're lost. It starts with that. It starts with, hi. It starts, maybe it goes into, hey, I'd like to invite you to trees from the trunk. You know, I, I, I don't listen. I don't. I am not going to downplay the power of an invitation. I read somewhere forty percent of people don't go to church because they've never been asked. Never been asked. What? And I don't. I want that. I want that to be two percent in this area, because we're asked. We're asking. God's people are asking. There's great power in invitation. Come and see. When I was a youth minister in Alney, Illinois, Claremont, Illinois, suburb of Alney, about eight miles away, and I remember during during Halloween we did a haunted house. We took the old Luther the Luther place, two story home, looked like the ghost in Mr. Chicken's house. You ever seen that movie? It's like a, the Munsters. It looks scary looking. And I asked my teens, I go, listen, let's get together. And let's make a make a, a fun house out of it, a haunted house out of it. We'll make a maze and everything. 
And one of my teenagers had the audacity to ask me, could I bring a friend? I go, why sure. We had more studies and more, more fun and more connection doing that than we did actually having kids go through the house itself. And we started a month early. And by the time that month was over, we had all these studies going. And I want to encourage you, if you're, going, you're doing a booth this year, and I hope, we, I hope we have more booths than we've had in years, let me encourage you, even if it's just the two of you or three of you, put together a trunk, put some lights in it, throw some candy in it, or get a little crazy, invite some of your friends that are unchurched, and say, come and help me with this. There's something about painting and pizza that makes things happen. Little paint, little pizza, not in the pizza. But, you know, when you're painting, that could ruin the day. It's just amazing. Maybe it's an invitation. Then all of a sudden it went from that to could we look at the Bible? Here's a Bible verse. Here's why I'm a Christian. Here's what Jesus has done for me. And it grows into until finally we're sitting up here in the States. How did it happen? We're part of the family. I know some of you don't like that song. I love it. That's been born again. It's not Whoville. Wahoo Dore. No, that's not what it's about. But what is that? We get in a circle and we baptize somebody. And I remember, I remember going, how did this happen? It went from high underneath. It went from Haba Mamba to I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How did that happen? It just worked its way. Because Denise, and others, others I can, you don't know, I can name, were willing to help her to help me find Jesus. That's all it takes from you and I. We can help each other. Folks, listen. If somebody brings someone to church, help them. If someone's, someone's going to do something, I, I was, uh, Tricia was telling me that, is it this? When is it? Meet at the pole. Is that the 29th? Is that right? Schools across America are going to meet at the flagpole to pray. And I understand that's open to the public. Parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents, why not meet your nephew, aunt, or a nephew, niece, grandkid, whatever, at the pole and pray with them? What could that possibly do? It would say to your kids, it would say to your nephew and niece, I'm here too to help you. I'm here too to help you. Like I say, next week, read the book of Acts and look at all the people that helped Saul become a Christian. That's what we're going to look at next week. But I want to say something here. Evangelism... Evangelism is only part of the Great Commission. It's only part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission gives us another reason why we are together as a church. And that's the second point, is we're here to help people follow Christ. We want to, you know, Jesus wants, it's good, He wants us, He wants to meet people, but He also wants them to follow Him. And when the disciples heard these words here that I'm getting ready to read, so go and make followers of all people in the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Notice he says, I want you to make them disciples, make them followers, and you do that by baptizing them. By the way, when you're baptized, the Bible says you meet Christ. You're buried with Him. You find Christ. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Why? To follow. They understood what He meant. They had spent years with Him, understanding what it meant to follow Him. You know, Jesus said 20 times, He said in the Gospels, follow Me. It must be important. He called people to follow Him. Groups of people to follow Him. So it's not simply enough to find, help people find Christ. We also need to be a church that has a culture that helps people follow Christ. I want to make that clear. This is a very clear expectation here. Now some of you here are going, of course, I already knew that. Well, what are you doing to help people follow Christ? What do people see when they see you here, but 
especially out there. When your food is cold at a restaurant. When someone cuts you off in traffic. What do people see when you're disappointed or when you're hurt? What do people see when you're excited? What do they see you excited about? We're to help people follow. See, our mission, our mission, and yes, you and I are involved in it as much, as equally as much. I'm involved in this thing, and you're involved in this thing. You're not talking about me. I am talking about you. You're not talking to me. Yes, I am talking to you. You and I are in this thing together. And it's our mission to help people follow Christ. That's why we have small groups, church. That's discipleship groups, small groups, guy time, girl time. What? Picking time. I don't care what you want to call it. But you know what? We're together. We get together to help each other follow Christ. I'm hoping to get Nathan. He doesn't know this till now. I'm hoping to get Nathan to talk about why we should be in a small group in a few weeks. Why is it several weeks? Several weeks. Don't worry, I'll help you. But the whole idea is, why do we have small groups? Because they provide connection and direction. They provide accountability. Oh boy. I don't know how many times I'll be in my discipleship group. This happens to me all the time. I've got this, I have to be reminded there's more, the discipleship group is more than a Bible class, folks. Well, I gotta get through this, this lesson. I gotta get through this lesson. I don't know how many times I went to group going, okay, we're gonna get through this lesson. Now let's look at this, we're gonna look at Acts here, and we're, look, we're going through the book of Acts, and we're going through it, and all of a sudden I take a breath, and Jim Shrimp, will break the silence, that nanosecond of silence, with a, so how are you doing, Tom? What are you doing, Jim? You're interrupting what I'm doing. No, I'm, I heard Tom sigh. There's something on his mind. I'm so busy in here, I'm not looking at my guys. And I go, and there's nothing wrong with being in here. But I'm like, man, there's a time to look at Acts and study Acts, and there's a time to do Acts. And I'm sitting there going, okay, Jim, I'm following you. How you doing, Tom? Well, Jackie's not doing very well. It's going to be a tough few weeks here coming up. This is before she passed away. And I watched my brother look at Tom and go, you know, Tom, show me how to handle that. I need help handling that. Man, this has blown my whole agenda. I'm wanting to go through the book of Acts. These guys want to go do Acts. It was a great group. Awesome group. Where a guy looks at somebody and goes, how you doing? Because I can sense, I can see your body language that we don't need to be looking at a Bible. We need to be looking at a person and helping them, giving them some, some encouragement and support. And when they're out of line, maybe a kick in the pants. You know, that was stupid. What you, what you talking about? That don't make any sense. Well, I, I thought it did, but now I'm beginning to wonder. Well, I see. That's why we're here, to remind you how stupid you are. <laughs> it's not like that. Our guys are pretty frank with each other. There's times I go in that group and they're giving it to me. I don't mean it like bad. I mean I'm need, what I'm needing. Or just I'm needing. That's why we have small groups to help people follow Christ. I hope, to t- I hope we talk about this and I hope that uh, Nathan will do that, okay? That's why we have ministries here. So people can get involved. Why? It puts their faith into practice. They learn to follow Christ. That's why we have retreats. For life of me, I understand. Some of us here. We don't go to retreats. We won't go. Even if, even if we plan them just down the street of a mile. It's easy to say, well, they're too expensive or too far away. But then we have one down the street and we still can't get the same people that can't make it. Why not? i got other plans. And it's, what are they designed for? What are we doing these retreats for? To make us better men, better women, better marriages, better campus students, better teenagers, better leaders. What, what, what's happened? What's happened is we've forgotten we're here to help people follow Jesus. 
Right now, I want to say something to you. And I'd like to ask you to write it down if you would. Greater Alton needs more followers. Right now, we need more followers. Why? Because it's followers that help people follow. Make it clear to you. You're, no, no, Tim. You're, no, 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 no. It's leaders that help people follow. It is followers that help people follow. You see, my leadership or my ability to lead comes from my willingness to follow. It's not a title. It's the, it, if my influence comes from the influence I get from Jesus when I follow Him. I just simply follow Him. See, right now someone's following you. Right now, someone is watching you and following you. My grandkids are watching you guys. They're watching the campus. When my granddaughter's with the campus, and what is she seeing? See, now it's personal. You understand? It's personal when Carmody or Nora or Meyer or this other one that's coming, they're bringing reinforcements. What's he going to be? What kind of youth group is he going to be in? And don't believe, believe me. Don't, I'm telling you, these kids are watching. These guys are watching you guys. And guess who these guys are watching? All of us. What are they seeing? We're following. We're following. Well, that's, we don't, we're not supposed to follow people. Okay, you go ahead and believe that. Uh, and go ahead and try to justify that. I'm going to tell you right now, we follow people. All i got to do is name some rock stars and we know every word in their song. How'd that happen? Why are we following them? We follow them on Twitter. We follow them on Facebook. Let's just face it. We are followers. Who are we going to follow? Is really what we're going to be asking. You see, my personal developing others, helping others follow Christ, discipling other peoples takes other people takes those who are focused on discipline and mentoring and their own maturity. I want to ask this: What church? What are we going to do? Where are we leading the next generation right now? This isn't about, listen, this isn't about you. It is. It's about us. What are we, where are we going with our kids? This next generation that's coming up. I'm not going to say if we lead, because we already are. Where are we taking them is the question. Paul said these words. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can you say that? Can we say that? Will we be a church that can say that? Follow us. We will show you how to follow Jesus. I will show you how to follow Jesus. Number three, we are here to help people be fruitful in Christ. You know, Jesus wants us to find Him. But He doesn't want just a bunch of followers. You know, if we're just going to be a bunch of followers, we're no different than ISIS. Just do whatever we're told. No questions asked, which by the way, is a big challenge here. We're not gonna, I think most of us here go, nobody's gonna tell me what to do, and you're doing a marvelous job. <laughs> Nobody tells you what to do. So the goal, the goal of following is not just to be lockstep and everybody just follow one person or follow a, an ideal. It's about following Jesus, but it's more than finding Him and following Him. It's about becoming like Him, and that's where fruit comes in. Teach these new disciples, Jesus said, to obey all the commands I have given you. See, our goal as a church, you're in this, 
I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, if you don't want to be in this, you probably go, go find another place next Sunday. I'm, just, I'm being honest with you. If you don't want to do this, you probably ought to go find another place next Sunday because we have got to get this down. That we're here to help people become like Jesus. We're not satisfied with dunking them and then dropping them. By baptizing them and then they're on their own. This idea, well, their growth is on their own. Listen to me carefully. My grandchildren are not on their own yet. Because they're not old enough yet. Now as they get older, I'll be reminded that they can handle more. Because they'll tell me, Grandpa, I got it. I'll butt up. I get it. But right now, they need somebody to protect them. They need somebody to teach them. They need somebody to help them. And I want to say to you, guys, Yes, I want to say this. The response of everybody here is your response. It's yours. Nobody can take that from you. But you're not on your own. We can't be a church that has, just says, well, you're on your own. Because to be fruitful takes maturity. And to be mature, you need help. I need help. Paul speaks of this goal. He says in Colossians 1, so we continue to tell people about Christ. There's the finding. We talk about Jesus. Help people find Jesus. We use all wisdom to counsel every person and teach every person. There's there's the, the following. Then he says, we are trying to bring everyone before God as people who have grown to be spiritually mature in Christ. There's the fruit. To do this, look at this says, to do this, I work and struggle using the, it's a struggle. It ain't easy. I need more strength than I've got. So will you. That Christ gives me, and what is, how does Christ give me that? From His Holy Spirit and from the rest of His body. The rest of His body helped me and give me that strength. And that strength, listen, is working in my life. Those people, the Holy Spirit is working in my life to help me mature people. See, fruit indicates maturity. I've got an apple tree that Susan Chapel gave us, and it has five apples on it, Susan, this year. Woohoo! Five apples! I don't know if there's worms in them. I didn't spray for them. I don't know what I'm going to get. And they say the worst thing about eating an apple is you find half a worm. Ooh, that's bad. But you know what I'm excited most about it is? That tells me the tree's healthy. It's growing and it's mature. Years before, that tree was by itself, but now it has the capacity to reproduce. Now listen to me carefully. There's a lot of debate as to what Christian fruit is. Is it, is it the character of Christ? Or the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all that? Is it other Christians? I want to say, I think they're both. But to me, fruit is indicating reproduction. That when I have the character of Christ, Christ has been reproduced. Follow me? Christ has been reproduced on this planet. And Jesus is very interested in having that kind of fruit. That fruit lasts. And fruit also indicates that the kingdom of God will reproduce. Church, listen to me, Greater Alton Church. This idea is will determine whether we are still here 20 years from now. Whether this congregation, whether the kingdom of God will be here is based on this ability to reproduce. So God didn't make you, wasn't satisfied with just saying, okay, I want you to find Jesus. I found Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. And leave me alone. No, He doesn't want that. He wants me to follow. Okay, I'll follow, I'll follow, but leave me alone. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He wants something else. What? He wants me to be able to help others. He wants me to help, he wants me to be able to help people find Christ and follow Christ and develop fruit in their life. It just keeps going on and on and on. That's the mission. And Paul would say, I work at that. 
Ephesians 4 says it this way. Christ gives those gifts, he's talking about teachers, pastors, ministers, and the like, to prepare God's holy people for the work of serving, to make the body of Christ stronger. This, he's talking about the church, we here. This work must continue until we are all joined together in the same faith and in the same knowledge of the Son of God. We must become like a mature person, growing until we become like Christ and have His perfection. Why should I grow? So I can become like Jesus Christ. I can have His character. So He can be reproduced on the planet. So there can be lots of Jesuses running around this planet. I've talked enough. Let me give you an assignment. I don't know how many of you got this old book in your library, dust off the cobwebs, blow the dust off, I don't know, whatever you got to do. It's called Discipling the Multiplying Ministry. The campus is currently going through it. But I'd like you to read Discipling the Multiplying Ministry by Milton Jones. Get a copy. I bet you can find one on Amazon, a used one, a tattered up, broken one. 80 cents, dollar, I don't know. Let me read to you a poem that's in its, just inside its cover. It's by Helen Cromer, and she says this, One man awake, awakens another. The second awakes, his next door brother. The three awake can rouse a town by turning the whole world upside down. The many awake can make such a fuss, it finally awakens the rest of us. One man up, with dawn in his eyes, multiplies. I pray that we'll, as we look at this, as we look at our mission, church, we're, this has been a whole year of this, that we'll learn, that we'll awaken with dawn in our eyes and be a part of a church that multiplies. I love this last part of this passage and I'll leave you with this. We don't have to do this alone. You don't have to do this just with me. <laughs> Thank God. Look, I'll be with you as you... <laughs> As you do this, Jesus says, just if you, I could just see the disciples going, so we're going to do this task and they're looking at each other. Peter is going to, he denied you three times. You know, and look at Thomas, he has doubts already. Look at him shaking his head. You know, you look at over there and there's Matthew, he's old as an old geezer. He ain't going to make it in a couple of years. And we know James is going to lose his head. This is, well, Yes, you'll help each other, but I'll be with you as you do this. I'll be at your side while you do this. We don't do this alone. This is what God wants. He wants it so much, He'll be with you. So let's, let's look at this great commission with fresh eyes. Let's look at this great commission. Some of us here do. Some of us here, we're just so tired of hearing about the great commission. Or we go, oh, same old stuff. Let me ask you to look at it with fresh eyes. And ask yourself, what can you do to help Greater Fulton Church be a culture that makes disciples into the likeness of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Um, Thank You for this task, this job, this mission. Father, some of us here, and I'm going to put myself right in there with them, scared to death of this. Not very good at this. You know, we're not very good at bringing people to Christ. We think we have to have a bunch of scriptures or have you know some kind of knack for it. And, and Father, I have to admit, some are gifted and they do have a knack for it. Father, I pray that I won't use that as an excuse to get me off the hook from it. Father, I pray that for us who find the, the Great Commission somewhat challenging, Father, let it challenge us in a healthy way. God, I just want us, this church, I want us to be a place that is doing this. But Father, I don't want my words or my actions or my strategy to be formed by what I want, but what You want. God, please, help us as church desire what You want over everything else to set aside our concept of what church should be, what what leadership should be, what success should look like, Just obey You and be pleased with that. 
to do that in our lifetime. Show us, Father, how to to make the job You've given us to do a reality here. We know there are other churches doing it, Father, all around the world. We're not the only place. We know they're all around the world. We just, Father, we want to be in the game. We want to be in there. So send us in. Let us be a part of this. Help us be a part of this. Convict our hearts in this series. When we leave this place, help us not shake off what we've talked about this morning so quickly and think of other things, but let it resonate in us and change us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.